hello, and welcome to Things That Make You Go Woo. I'm your host, Emily Barnard, also known as Emily and Her Stars. I'm a medium, an astrologist, an Akashic Records reader, an artist, and an all-around just silly and curious gal. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the things and people I find fascinating, funny, and inspirational. Things that I hope will certainly make you go woo, too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. I don't know about you, but I love the magic and the woo that just seems to practically drip from the month of December. Whether you celebrate Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Yule, or even Saturnalia, there is an inescapable feeling of tradition that comes with this month. Some of it is the heavy influence of Capricorn from December 22nd on, which asks us to find structure and purpose in our lives by sinking down into tradition. But I really believe it's so much more than even the stars. And in true things that make you go woo form, you know I'm going to have to take a look at the history and evolution of woo during the holidays. I mean, where do we even start? The holiday season, just in name, refers to the fact that there are so many holidays. I'm a sucker for ancient history, you know that. The part of our DNA that is centuries old, and yet somehow we still resonate with it, like some long lost memory or dream. I'm currently reading a book called The Dawn of Everything, A New Look into the History of Humanity by David Graeber and David Wengro. And I'll put a link on my Instagram account in case any other history nerds out there want to check it out. But But this book takes a new look at what we know about mankind based strictly on new archaeological discoveries instead of 18th and 19th century theories. And a big part of that is re-examining how we lived during the Ice Age. And new evidence shows that wooden monuments and even structures built from mammoth bones and hides were really created seasonally, generally in the fall and winter, as smaller tribes would join up to celebrate successful harvests and hunts, and even to hunt alongside each other. The idea that they would come together to support each other to survive through the winter, through the dark, and through the time when things were going to be a little bit difficult. But then in the spring, Just as quickly as these structures had been built, they were in fact disassembled and the bands and tribes broke up and everyone went about their own way for the spring and summer. I could talk about the incredible implications this has on our history for days, honestly, but at the very core, the basic woo element that excites me the most about this, we have a history as humans to gather together to celebrate during the long, cold winter months. It's primal. Even without all the pomp and circumstance and glitter of the holidays, at the very least, we desire to gather and share our stories and adventures from the year. Let's just start with our love of light during the holidays. We know that some of the earliest recorded celebrations still have 
big tradition in today's world, but none so much so as light. The very idea of celebrating winter solstice and the eventual return of more daylight and warmer days was the basis of survival for so many of our ancestors. Another celebration of light came from the ancient Norsemen of Scandinavia, where they celebrated Yule. They celebrated this from the winter solstice all the way through January, and it was in recognition of the return of the sun. Fathers and sons would bring home large logs, which eventually became known as Yule logs. They would set each end of these logs on fire, and people would gather and feast until the log burned out. This could take as much as 12 days. The Norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new piglet or a calf that would be born during the coming year. The Norse knew that the sun was key to life, not only for warmth, but for plants and animals to survive. And the return of it was one of the biggest celebrations of the year. I truly believe that the idea of celebrating light, whether it's through candles or Christmas tree lights or even the magic of a fire, is truly the most basic and primal way for us to celebrate and gather together during the holidays with that reminder of making it through to spring and summer, that this darkness won't last forever. So what about Christmas trees and greenery? How did that get involved? Well, long before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that stayed green all year had a really special meaning for people in the winter. Just as we decorate our homes today during the festive season with pine and spruce and fir, ancient people did the same. They hung evergreen boughs over their doors and windows. In many countries, it was believed that evergreens would keep away witches, ghosts, evil spirits, and more importantly, illness and disease. Many ancient people believed that the sun was a god and that winter came every year because the sun god had become weak and sick. They celebrated the solstice because it meant that at last the sun god would begin to get well again. And evergreen boughs reminded them of all the green plants that would grow again when the sun god was strong and the summer would return. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a god called Ra, who had the head of a hawk and wore the sun as a blazing disc on his head. At the solstice, when Ra began to recover from his illness, the Egyptians filled their homes with green palm brushes, which symbolized for them the triumph of life over death. Early Romans marked the solstice with the feast called Saturnalia in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. The Romans knew that solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be green and fruitful again, and to mark that occasion, they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen boughs. In Northern Europe, the mysterious druids and priests of the ancient Celts also decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol for everlasting life. And the fierce Vikings in Scandinavia thought that evergreens were the special plant of the sun god Balder. We're going to get into that more a little bit later. It's generally believed that the first Christmas tree itself 
was of German origin, dating from the time of St. Boniface, an English missionary to Germany in the 8th century. Now, he replaced the sacrifices to the Norse god Odin's sacred oak tree with a fir tree adorned in tribute to the Christ child. The legend is told that Boniface found a group of pagans preparing to sacrifice a boy near an oak tree in Germany. He cut down the oak tree with a single stroke of his axe and stopped the sacrifice. A small fir tree sprang up in the place of the oak, and he told the pagans that this was their tree of life, and it stood for Christ. A legend began to circulate in the Middle Ages that when Jesus was born in the dead of the winter, all of the trees throughout the world shook off their ice and snow to produce new shoots of green. And the medieval church then began to decorate outdoor fir trees, known as paradise trees, with apples on Christmas Eve. They called it Adam and Eve Day and celebrated with a play. During Renaissance times, there are records that trees were being used as symbols for Christians first in the Latvian capital of Riga in 1510. One story goes that it was attended by men wearing black hats in front of the house of the black heads in the town hall square, who, following a ceremony, burnt the tree. But whether it was for Christmas or Ash Wednesday is still debated. Accounts persist that Martin Luther was the first to introduce a lit Christmas tree with candles in Wittenberg, Germany in the mid-16th century. He often wrote and preached on Advent and Christmas, and he loved Christmas and wrote at least five hymns about it. One story goes that as Luther was returning to his home after a walk one cold winter night, he unsuccessfully tried to describe the beauty of the starry night glittering through the trees to his family. Instead, he went outside, cut down a small fir tree to bring in and put lights and candles all over it. <laughs> in a manuscript dated 1605, a merchant in Strasbourg, Germany, wrote that at Christmas, they set up fir trees in the parlors and then hung paper roses and apples and wafers and cookies all over the tree. Though Christmas tree selling is mentioned back into the, as early as the mid-1500s in Strasbourg, the custom of decorating it may really have developed from the medieval paradise play. Now, this play was a favorite during the Advent season because it ended with the promise of a savior. The action in the play centered around a fir tree covered in apples. Even Charles Dickens referred to the Christmas tree as the new German toy. Eventually, he had one in his London townhome. German immigrants brought the custom to the United States, and tree decorating is recorded back to 1747 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Now, the Christmas tree was most successfully popularized in England by German Prince Albert soon after his marriage to Queen Victoria. Although the tree had been introduced by a previous royal consort in 1841, it was Albert who began the reoccurring annual custom of decorating a large tree in Windsor Castle. And in 1848, a print showing the royal couple with their children was published in the Illustrated London News. It became all the fashion. Albert gave trees to the army barracks and imitations soon followed. Really, from this time onward, the popularity for decorated fir trees spread beyond royal circles, really throughout all of British society, thanks mainly to Albert's efforts. 
Another holiday greenery we celebrate is mistletoe. We know its mystical properties were described before the time of the Druids, and we really first read about mistletoe over 2,300 years ago from the works of the Greek philosopher Theopharitus. Another holiday greenery Another holiday greenery we celebrate this time of year is mistletoe. We know its mystical properties were described really before the time of the Druids, but we first read about mistletoe over 2,300 years ago from the Greek philosopher Theophratus. I'm sure I did not say that right. I apologize. (laughs) But it was Pliny the Elder who lived between 23 and 79 BC who wrote detailed descriptions of the attitude of some contemporary people toward mistletoe. He noted that while mistletoe lived in deciduous trees like the oak, after the oak leaves dropped off in the fall, the mistletoe was still alive and well, speculating that the life of the oak tree itself was in the mistletoe, therefore showing it had some sort of mystical powers. These powers only worked so long as that after the mistletoe was harvested, it did not touch the ground. This is really the tradition behind hanging mistletoe. (laughs) Now, the Roman writer Virgil talks about his hero, Aeneas, carrying a golden bough into hell (laughs) by using the flickering light of the mistletoe plant that he held as this bough was on fire. He was able to pass through the forest and transport across the river Styx. So you see here, mistletoe's significance is really ancient and pre-Christian. How it became integrated into Christianity is still kind of uncertain, but perhaps the earlier beliefs of mistletoe's influence on fertility and conception were involved, because we do know that the first documented case of kissing under the mistletoe goes back to 16th century England, where it became a popular custom. Now, the story behind this goes... Baldur, the Norse god of light and the summer sun, saw his own death in a dream. Frigga, his mother, the goddess of beauty and love, and who we named Friday after, compelled and pleaded with the elements, the plants, and the animals not to kill Baldur. But she neglected to extract the same promise from that young and insignificant mistletoe. Now, the mischief god Loki, who in Norse mythology is actually blood brother to Odin, had an idea. Realizing that mistletoe grows on trees and has no roots in the ground, Loki fashioned a poison dart from the mistletoe and with the aid of Baldur's blind brother Hodor, shot the mistletoe missile that killed Baldur. His death brought winter. Later traditions say that Frigga's tears over her son changed the red mistletoe berries white, and henceforth and forevermore mistletoe would bring love rather than death into the world. Any two people passing under mistletoe would exchange a kiss in memory of Baldur. I love that tradition. Now, the last and final tradition I want to deep dive into today is probably my most favorite. Recently, I watched the Netflix documentary, Fantastic Fungi. And if you haven't watched it yet, do yourself a favor, download it, watch it as soon as possible, because I learned so much about the importance and the 
intricacies of fungus and how important they are to us and our life here on this planet. But how mushrooms and Christmas are connected, I tell you, this one just really gets me. Ethnomycologist Robert Wasset and anthropologist John A. Rush have investigated fungi, the religious and ritualistic properties, and also their psychotropic properties. Now, in their research, they both came to the conclusion that Amanita muscaria mushroom is closely related to Christmas imagery. Hundreds of years ago, it was found that the winter solstice ceremonies of the First Nations and indigenous people of the North Pole had similar traditions to the ones of the last century's Christmas Eve. In these ancestral communities in the Arctic, which generally occurred around winter solstice, rituals were conducted by shamans who collected Amanita muscaria mushrooms, also called the fly agaric, which had powerful hallucinogenic properties. Amanita muscaria is striking in its appearance with its red hat and white dots, and it grows in the ground near trees such as birch and pine. And for the indigenous people, that was important because this was a place of particular value. These trees to them were the trees of life, which not only meant their great height, but also in all of the purposes and uses they got from these trees. The toxicity of Amanita muscaria when ingested is high. So before taking it, the indigenous people had to dehydrate them on branches, generally on pine branches. A second possibility was to put them in socks and spread them over a fire, an image that closely resembles the Christmas tradition of hanging Christmas socks near the chimney. Additionally, the reindeer were of great help in reducing the toxicity of the mushroom since they can eat Amanita muscaria without suffering the effects of its venom. Thus, the urine of the animals was used since they had already filtered the harmful components of the mushroom out, but the urine still contained the hallucinogenic effects. After the shaman had ingested the mushrooms or drank the urine of the reindeer, the hallucinations and reactions of the Amida began, such as a feeling of joy, a desire to sing, or increased muscle tone, so any physical effort was suddenly easier to perform. The legend says that during their psychedelic trips, the shamans managed to see the future for the community, and they could turn into animals and fly towards the North Star in search of knowledge to share with the rest of the people. At the end of their hallucinogenic experience, they would return to their group in their yurt or hut and were met with the important men of town to begin in the solstice ceremony and share the visions for what the new year would bring for their community. Now, these shaman psychotropic journeys are believed to be related to the idea that Santa Claus travels with his sleigh and reindeer through the skies to deliver gifts. The gift given by the shamans was the knowledge that the mushroom gave them, in addition to sharing portions of it with those who were also present. Another similarity with the Christmas imagery is that the entrance to the yurts was a hole in the roof because the main door was covered with snow. Thus, the shaman made his appearance descending from the highest part of the house, similar to Santa Claus descending through the chimney. Over time, this shamanic archetype changed, and it is said that with the travel of the Druids, this tradition spread to Great Britain. 
Then, through the cultural exchange, it was combined with Germanic and Nordic myths that related the same adventures, such as those with Wotan, the Germanic god, or Odin, his Nordic counterpart, and other gods who, when traveling during the night on the winter solstice, were chased by demons in a sleigh pulled by an eight-legged horse. It is said that a trail of red and white blood fell from the sleigh and that the horses frothed white foam from their mouths to the ground. And this is where the Amanita mushrooms would appear the following year. With time, Christianity related the Christmas tradition to the 4th century Turkish bishop, St. Nicholas of Bari. Now, he also helped to inspire St. Nicholas and Santa Claus since he used to give gifts to those in need, especially children. A cheerful, playful, and at the same time, realistic Santa Claus was the commission that Coca-Cola gave the illustrator Haddon Sundblom in 1931, which is how we've gotten our current image of Santa Claus. But the power of the Amanita muscaria mushroom has marked the history of Christmas throughout time to today. The rites on those dates close to the December solstice are preserved throughout time with clear modifications, but the mushrooms remain present throughout Christmas decorations and designs and connect us to thousands of years of history. My greatest wish for you all this holiday season is that you remember the importance of gathering with the ones that you love, that you celebrate the return of longer days and light with winter solstice, that you bring plants into your home to symbolize the triumph of life over death, that you bring in some mistletoe to remind you to kiss and love the ones you have here on this plane, and that you celebrate the magical and woo history that the First Nations and Indigenous people have taught us about the colors red and white, the importance of sacred mushrooms, and the beautiful idea of circling in together and coming up with a vision for what we want 2022 to be. Wishing you all blessings, love, light, and a beautiful holiday season. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of things that make you go woo. You can help me out by leaving a positive rating and a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Be sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Emily and her stars. You can also reach out via email anytime. Emily and her stars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time on things that make you go woo.